Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Bible Thumper Podcast, where somebody's got to say it. My name is Patrick Hayes, your regular host, and with me tonight in the studio, Zachariah King, here to talk about all of the things that we learned over the last weekend. So, Zach, let's start with the basics. Uh, how is your coffee? Coffee's good. Good. Uh, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's sort of like the inverse of the... Uh, water into wine sort of story by the end of the day mm-hmm. i don't even care what kind of coffee it is yeah i'm just like well this is the gourmet expensive stuff this is the stuff huh? it is what i started doing was i went with a coffee concentrate and you just i found like we collect i don't know we collect junk like most americans do okay but we collect brass and copper junk that is like old like pots and tea kettles and okay. you know antique stuff that looks like it was around 100 years ago. <clears throat> so anyway, this one thing that I found is for lack of a better term what I would call a brass solid brass shot glass. That's what it looks like. But it measures a quarter cup exactly. Okay. That's the amount of the concentrate you pour into a normal size coffee cup and then you just pour boiling water onto it. Really? And what they've told me is that the acid levels for this coffee is supposed to be way lower than normal coffee. Anyway, I love it. I love the taste. And what I really love is not having a cup of coffee filled up to about here with coffee grounds, which is how my wife makes it. (laughs) So I finally got to a point where I'm like, you know what? We're just, we're going to fix this. I'm going to have my coffee. You can have your coffee. No grounds involved. Nope. (laughs) Oh, wow. That's funny. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing that a dollar bill can't fix. So, anyway, I switched to this. I like it. Very good. No, yeah, I, yeah. I hope you do, too. No, I do. You know, I do. I'm not a, like, high-shelf coffee snob. You know, I mean, when I'm out working, I'll stop at a gas station, truck stop, and get a cup of coffee that's clearly been on the burner for, like, eight hours or sure, something. Sure. You know, and it's, like, coffee's coffee when you when you want it. When you just need it. But, yeah, yeah. no, this is good. That's yeah. a, was coming a pouch or what? You it just, comes in a gallon. It's a one-gallon bottle of concentrate, cold-pressed, cold-brewed. Yeah. I don't remember which one it is. You ever just had it straight yet? No, I've never tried it. It's called Morning Moonshine. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's just the, the nice, the best part about this stuff is you got to go into the store where they sell it to buy it, which is obvious, but the smell of this store Oh, okay. It's nothing but coffee beans and ground up coffee and they roast their own stuff and like, yeah. This is a specialty place around here? Yeah, or? it's right over there um, off of Independence, uh, right over there by the Sam's Club. Yeah. In that little strip mall kind of, uh, I don't know, that would be on the northwest side of Sam's Club, like kind of oh, okay. over by the tennis courts there yeah, yeah yeah there's a strip mall that's like two stories anywhere in there just look it up it's good it, anyway I, i'm a big fan and it's so easy and it's fast easy. And, that's the deal yeah and you can control the strength of it when you make a pot of coffee you make a pot of coffee for you and your three buddies but if someone likes it really weak and someone likes it strong well we made a pot of coffee so everyone's yeah, just deal with it. yeah but with this it's like oh okay you want it a little stronger here it's a little stronger all right well that was well, yeah there's there's one thing i learned yeah that was about the best four and a half minutes of an introduction yeah yeah that's gonna make for good radio yeah okay so good news 
Here we go. Our microphones, both of them, were muted for the first almost five minutes. Okay, so now we're live. Now, we were recording here. That's not a problem. Okay. Oh, yeah, up on Spotify where nobody gets on and listens to it. The audio quality is going to be perfect. Flawless. (laughs) But the video just kicked on now as far as getting audio with it so we don't have any live viewers yet okay so well if they need to know about coffee they can write in. they can yeah. <laughs> you can you can get a hold of us at bible thumper podcast at gmail.com anytime you want uh, there you go okay so talk to me about yeah this this weekend yeah we we had a um <clears throat> had a friend in town neither yep. you and i have never met him before never met him um his name is dr al reichman mm-hmm Fun guy, mm-hmm. really interesting conversations. But um, my uh, my pastor buddy at the at heart, the the church that we pastor together, his wife had been on a trip to Israel mm-hmm. last year. Yeah, I think last year. About the first year they really opened up and yeah, because that would have been twenty yeah spring of sometime in twenty twenty two when yeah. everything was opening up again. Yep. That's the time. And so this was the man who was, who led the tour. Yeah. And I'm still not, I didn't try to connect all the dots about how she found him, but yeah, 11 day tour mm-hmm. of Israel. She loved it. Came back here, mm-hmm. talked to Darren into inviting him up to the church. So he was up here. I heard that he was going to be here. I told you, Hey, you might be into this guy. Sure. Yeah. So he spoke at your place on Friday night. Mm-hmm. You caught him yesterday. Had him on the podcast. Had him on the podcast. That, which I think is already up. Uh, yeah, I think it is. Well, you I shared the link, link mm-hmm. with you. Yeah, mm-hmm. so yeah. That, that podcast is all the, already up. There you go. And now uh, you had him at your church this morning, this Sunday morning. morning for both Sunday school and the morning service. And then I had lunch with him and talked to him for a while this afternoon. Great. So we both got a, a good long crack at this guy. Yeah. But. The big deal is Mm -hmm. he comes from a long line of Orthodox Orthodox Jewish Jewish rabbis. rabbis. Yeah. So his whole family going back as far as he knows, you know. Orthodox Jewish rabbis. And so very interesting perspective on the scriptures. Mm -hmm. Uh, Totally different context by which to read them. Yeah. And so... uh, you did a question and answer time this morning. He had a presentation that he gave on a biblical timeline uh, Friday night. Did some of his testimony this morning, but mm-hmm. it was also largely uh, Abraham and Moses in contrast to Jesus. Yeah. And about how they save. Yep. And so so that was really good. And then we each got a chance to crack some questions off of him. I know you and I talked a little bit about the podcast. You had him on yesterday. Mm-hmm. I haven't listened to it yet. But so I'll you haven't it. had a chance to. Well, that's okay. I don't know what you guys talked about at lunch either. Well, so was there anything interesting you got out of him at lunch that you wanted to bring up and talk about? Because uh, <clears throat> there is something that I want to talk about, but we can save it till later. Sure. There's no urgency. So, um, Well, I know we want to get to the biblical timeline stuff a little bit there's yeah. a couple of things that are pretty interesting that i might save one of them for off air but oh, uh, oh yeah really really uh interesting okay. but um i i think the the larger takeaway isn't necessarily something really specific that he said mm-hmm. but the idea that 
there's a lot of things the, the longer and longer I study the Bible and, mm-hmm. and especially the longer I really try to do it honestly and with as much help as I can get a hold of that's, mm-hmm. that's good, decent help. Yeah. I think there are a lot of Jewish components that I can pick out yeah. that I can see, but there were things that we were talking about today. Um, Galatians chapter three, mm-hmm. when Paul says there's no longer any Jew or Greek. Sure. Um, slave or free mm-hmm. male or female yeah i'm like yeah what are we talking well, about here well, I, a lot of my questions were not necessarily what he thinks mm-hmm. because he's a baptist preacher sure i kind of i kind of yeah. know where he's at tell me what your orthodox rabbi family mm-hmm. would say about uh, how does this work yeah and he goes well you know where he got those from don't you so, and you're uh, like, clearly somewhere in the Old Testament that I can't think of right yeah, now. And so I'm like, go ahead and tell yeah, me. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, yeah just tell me. And yeah. he goes, no, 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 no. It's a, a rabbinic prayer. Oh. And rabbis would get up in the morning and mm-hmm. they would pray, thank you for making me a Jew, not a Gentile. No way. Free and not a slave. Uh-huh. Man and not a woman. Wow. And it's not like sexist or anything. It's just... They understood the responsibility that they had. Yeah. Because and, they and were And you're men. thanking God for what he gave you. Right. Now, the first part, a Jew and not a Gentile, it's a little on the nose. <laughs> <laughs> but the male and not a female is not a slight to women. It is, you made me this way, God. Thank you for doing it. I'm offering thanks. Yeah. Yeah. I get yeah, it. Thanks that I'm 6'3". Yeah, sure, sure. And not 5'3". Like, you it, got it's, it. just, it's not like it's... Yeah, thanks for my green eyes. Not that brown eyes are bad, but this yeah, is what you gave like, me, and I'm trying to be grateful. Wow, I really win. But okay. So he's, he's looking at that, and he's going, if you don't know that that's a morning rabbinic prayer... Yeah, you're missing a big part of... And then, not only are you missing it, but then... So what he's kind of doing there is a little bit of a... Because of Jesus, there's a different way to think about this. Mm-hmm. But when you don't know that prayer, you look at it, and, and all of a sudden, your your interpretation of those things can start to get a little bit more Especially loose, today. right? Yeah. You go like, well, there's no Jew or Gentile. Yeah. Like, we don't even have a nationality. Yeah. What's the point? And that's, not of, the tr- that's really not the truth, because... It flies in the face of other things that we have read in the Bible. We know that the the Jewish people still have a role all the way through end times prophecy. We know that there's still men and women. You got it. Yeah. So, but so then people will take something like that and go, "Well, I'm not sure I can really even trust the Bible." Then, sure, because it's it's fighting against itself. Mm-hmm. But when you, I, I think that there's pieces of the scriptures all through that are like that that are um, even things that seem sort of plain to us mm-hmm. that are a little bit more, that are, are much more uh, Jewish than we would maybe like to admit. And I think the other thing he said that was really great, you know, I asked him on Friday night, how do I read the scriptures mm-hmm. the way that a first century Jewish reader would read them? I didn't like his answer. Well, it was interesting. Mm-hmm. So, because I, I know exactly what you're going to say. Okay. Because I'm going to say it too. Go for it. Um, rather than like a 21st century American. Yeah, yeah, Christian. Yeah, I get it. And, and he goes, ah, I'm just not sure you can. Yeah. I mean, you don't have the, you don't have the right vision yeah. to and, see it. And, and I, I was like, eh. 
I think you can learn it. I really do think you, you can. I really do think you can learn a lot of it because yeah. I, I was thinking about my friend who um he was a, a missionary in uh, Novosibirsk mm-hmm. in Siberia for yeah. a long time. He'd been in Moscow for a while until the war started. Mm-hmm. Now he's in Hungary yeah. helping um, refugees. Yeah, but spending that many years living full time in Russia. Mm-hmm. He's got a pretty good feel yeah. of everything. Sure. How it all works out. And so I do think there's I do think it can be learned. Um, but it's it's also hard not to learn it by by immersion. Well, and I'll be honest with you. I I think you would agree that I've been putting a lot of effort into that goal for many years. Mm-hmm. Okay, much more so than a lot of Christians and even a lot of Christian pastors to the point of ridicule by some people sure, and the rolling of eyes. And all I found was that the more I would find Jewish people who are saved, who were raised in Judaism, uh, teaching the scriptures, the more it is pointed out to me different things. And there are buzzwords that mm-hmm. I look mm-hmm. for that, I never did before. And once you get a foundation, I'll give you an example. When, when you go through and you, okay, I'm, I'm going to give you an idea here. And this is one of the reasons that a lot of Christians are going to struggle with this. Where do you find Jewish culture in the Bible laid out line upon line rule upon rule? Oh yeah, sure. In the Torah. You got it. Yeah. Specifically the first five books and yeah, Let's yeah. face it, not so much in Genesis, okay? We find it in Exodus, and we find it in Leviticus. And you find some in Numbers, and it repeated in Deuteronomy. Mm-hmm. Well, what is the portion of the Bible that is the least read? But out of all yeah. the books that are least read by Christians, or they have the least amount of desire to read, what would be your top three books that you'd put on that list? Can we say Leviticus is... Oh, Leviticus for sure. Gotta be up there. Numbers at least has some stories. A little bit of story and good story. Oh, yeah. Oh, very good. But it's still, you know, it's dry and it's tough to get through. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, The second half of Exodus, let's face it, most people are falling asleep. Everyone gives up right after Moses gets to Sinai. As soon as you start getting the... The instructions to build the tabernacle. Oh, yeah. Uh, then you get to the end of it, and you're like, okay. Oh, great. And I then, can move on. And, and he starts building it. Yeah. And it's like, wait a minute. We're just all the doing same the same. Yeah. Totally again. <laughs> so, Zach, children in Judaism on the Sabbath after the synagogue would have a time where they would get together in what we would call today a Sunday school class. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And these little kids would study the Torah, specifically the Pentateuch. I mean, let's face it, the first five books are what we cover every single year. Not only because it is the foundation of Judaism, but because it's commanded. Moses was given the command. Joshua reiterates the command. We are going to read through this book every single year. Mm-hmm. And once every, I believe seven, but I'm, I'm just guessing because I didn't look it up. Every seven years, we are literally going to gather together and stand here 
as someone reads it out loud to you. Yeah, time that. So you have no excuse to say, I didn't know. Yeah. Do you know where they start with little kids? Do you know what little kids start learning? I, I don't. They no, start right out of the in Leviticus. Yeah. Right. <laughs> what we look at as a struggle, they look at as this is our daily life. This is how I live, the way that I eat, the way that I go to the bathroom, the way that I practice uh, my my religion, how I treat my family, how I treat, these are the rules and the foundation of this is who we are and how we live. Christians are able to study this stuff and get a very good picture of who Jesus is and how he lived. The problem is uh, people don't want to do it. They don't want to put in the time. Sure. But when you're reading through the Bible and you find out that God sends a raven to accomplish his task with a certain one of his children, what should jump out to you? A raven? Yeah. Uh, You going back to the ark? Mm-hmm. What's the story we're working on here? No, but the the ark is another one. Uh, you tell me. Yeah. What is special about a raven? What's I, I don't know. I'm to not the up Jew, on my not bird, to the Gentile. Uh, yeah, I'm not up on my bird science. It's an unclean bird. Okay. So when he sends a raven to do... It's, it's supposed to stand out and there is meaning behind it. There you go. It's not just a bird. It's an unclean bird. And are Jews allowed to touch them? Are they allowed to eat them? They're not supposed to have anything to do with them. There are little hints Mm -hmm. that give us deeper meaning in the scripture all over the place. Yes, yes. But it only happens if we understand the culture and the religion of Judaism. And it's in there. It's in the Bible. We can study it and we can get an idea of, oh, wait a minute, there's a problem here. And I'll be honest with you, ever since I started this journey of really trying to learn as much as I can about Judaism for the purpose of understanding Jesus better, every I read through the book of Matthew at least, you know, once a year. And every time I go through it, because I've learned a little more, I'm like, whoa, you know, I this makes sense now. Whereas before I was like, I had no idea. There was so much meaning that I just absolutely missed. I say all that to say this, it's obviously possible because every Jewish baby that's brought up learns how to read the Torah through, you know, through Jewish eyes. So obviously anyone else can. Do do you study any of the, of the extra biblical Jewish writings? I mean, like the the Talmud or the Mishnah or. No, but what I end up finding is I have one, two three, I would say four, but the fourth one's really lame, four sources that I go to when I'm studying the Bible and specifically have questions about Judaism. And sometimes they will bring up portions of the Mishnah or the Talmud, but I don't even have a printed copy. I had, right, you know, right, and right, I sure. really have no... <laughs> great desire to get into it and this is one of the things that i brought up with a friend of mine today 
there's a concept in Christianity called sola scriptura. Mm -hmm. Okay. And the idea is simply, we get our doctrine, what we believe, how we practice from the Bible. That's the only place we get it. Now, there are several places in the Bible where God is very specific, very specific on purpose. Mm -hmm. There are other places in the Bible where God seems to be very vague. (laughs) Right. The problem with a lot of people is they don't understand that he is vague on purpose just as much as he is specific on purpose. Absolutely. If he wanted to be specific where he is not, he could be. Not a problem. But he wasn't. Yeah. What ends up happening is that in Judaism, there are, and it depends on the group, there are groups that have extra biblical teaching and writings on the specifics of parts of the Bible that aren't clear enough. So you have, at the time of Christ, there were two major um, groups of writings by the rabbis that were kind of accepted. And I don't remember, I was talking with a friend of mine today, I don't remember the names of them, and I certainly don't remember which one Jesus was kind of in line with. Yeah. But the point is, there were teachings where they would go to the rabbis and say, okay, well, we read this. We really don't know specifically, okay, how do we keep the Sabbath? How do we not keep the Sabbath? How do we, okay, how do we eat what is okay and what about in this circumstance? There are a lot of questions. So there's nothing wrong with doing that. The problem is that Judaism is just as messed up as Christianity yes. in that they would end up following a man and his teaching just like Christians will do today, where a teacher will uh, spring up and he will be used greatly of God. You have uh, John Wesley, you have, you know, name whoever you want, okay? Charles Spurgeon, uh, you have D.L. Moody, you have, you know, um, J. Frank Norris. And these guys are uh, pillars in in their field and they're, blessed by God and they're intelligent men and they have given their lives to study the scripture and they have come to what they believe they are supposed to do in order to obey God and follow the Bible. The problem is if these guys write this stuff down and all of a sudden it is accepted as scripture, then you start veering off and you, you get into problems. And I hate to be the one to say it, but Zach, you can't get three Jews in a room to agree on anything. I was going to say, somebody's got to say it. Anything. Okay. So, and what does the New Testament teach us? The New Testament teaches us that there were two rival factions the whole time Christ was yes. doing his ministry. Yes. And guess what? They disagreed on major points. You and, don't say. And Paul brought it up again and again and again yeah. about he would poke the Pharisees in the eye where they were wrong. He would poke the Sadducees in the eye where they were wrong. So what you find out is that the difference between Mosaic Judaism and what we have later on at the time of Christ, Pharisaical Judaism, and then what you have after the temple's destroyed, Rabbinical Judaism, Mm -hmm. and then we start to go to these rabbis to find out, well, now what and how does this work? And there's more emphasis on the rabbis because there is no temple, there is no priesthood. All of that was destroyed by the Romans when they destroyed the temple and all of Jerusalem in 70 AD and everyone went running for their lives and and settled all over the world. And you get 
people that are now relying on something outside of just what the Bible says. Yeah, I, I, I'm behind you on all of that. As you just come up with that just uh, just now off the top of your head. You no, and I have talked but, about yeah, this we before. Have, we this, have. You know? so, so what I like, though, is, so for instance, uh, um, working through the, the Bible Go right ahead. now with a, a buddy who he hasn't done it before. Oh, okay. So like whole Great. thing. Yeah, yeah. And he gets to he gets to Matthew and he goes, "Wait a minute, who are the Pharisees? Yeah, where'd they come from? Well, because it's not there. Yeah. And so what I do, I, I'm totally with you on sola scriptura, mm-hmm. but I I read a lot of extra biblical content. History. Absolutely. Right. I'm not sure. No, you no, know no, I you're do not. That. Yes, We're both yes, in favor. Learn as much as you can. Yes. Just don't. Tell me that it, some of the extra it, stuff is written by God. Right. Yeah. Right. That's all. Because I want to try to gain as much of the perspective, perspective. as I can. Absolutely. Right. To to do to to deal with what is already in the scriptures, especially when I'm having a little bit of trouble with something. So I just wonder, um, you know, if if there's if there's Mishnah or Talmud teachings that you go, oh, okay, wait a minute, this is why the Sadducees have decided that there's no resurrection. Mm-hmm. And they're in charge of things. Uh, um, and they're fighting with the... For, I, I like where he said there, you get three Jews in a room, you can't... Um, it, what, one of the things uh, Al said today was that if 1% of the Jewish people were saved, mm-hmm. he would be ecstatic. Yeah. Well, in my estimation, that means that over 99% of the Jewish people right now are wrong. Sure about the fundamental belief of Christianity. Absolutely. And so it's not like I'm going to run there to look for some of, some help to figure out my, <laughs> right? It's not like we're not on the same page about things. Yeah. But uh, they could give me a little bit of perspective about how people were thinking about things or why does this fight pop up the way it does? What fight? Or, or like any of them. Like, when, when uh, in, in Galatians, mm-hmm. when Paul is writing about circumcision, and I think he says the things he says about circumcision in Romans. Mm-hmm. I could get an idea in my mind. I see what, what's going on here. Um, but now Gentiles are starting to be saved, mm-hmm. and they're not circumcised. Is there, is there something I can read from the Judaizer's point of view mm-hmm. that helps me get an understanding of what the argument is that Paul is fighting against. So, <clears throat> okay, so I would say absolutely. Right, right, right. Because <clears throat> let, let's just go through history and talk about this. There was a time when Antiochus Epiphanes, and that is, um, <clears throat> uh, he is a ruler from the Seleucid Empire, that is after Alexander the Great died and the empire was broken up uh, and given to his four generals. And uh, the Seleucid Empire was in charge of Judea at the time when Antiochus Epiphanes was the ruler. And this was during the 400 years of silence Mm -hmm. after Mm -hmm. Malachi before the New Testament, just to give our listeners some background. He, along with many other people throughout history had this desire to kill every single Jewish man, woman, and child on earth. And he wanted to exterminate Judaism, even if he didn't kill every single one of them. So he made several things illegal and he started with the foundational beliefs and practices that made somebody Jewish. 
And that was the Sabbath. Mm -hmm. And that was circumcision. And it was illegal to circumcise your sons. And it was a capital crime to kill the mother and the father of any child who was circumcised. Uh, They would also kill the babies. And they uh, went through the streets and would find, you know, um, you know, boys and, um, and inspect them to see you got it. And it was a capital crime and people were being killed. And there were Jews throughout Israel that did not care. They said, you can kill us. We are going to obey God. And they continued to obey God and follow his precepts. So what you got to understand is this concept, this idea of Judaism, it dates all the way back to Abraham. Sure, sure. This is one of the things that makes us who we are. And I'm talking to the first person. Right, right. For everyone listening, I'm Irish. I am not (laughs) Jewish. There's not a, a drop of Jewish blood in me. I'm speaking in the first person as I'm telling the story. So, you know, please understand. Right. I am a student of Judaism. Okay, that is all. So throughout, from Abraham all the way through Moses, all the way up to the time of Christ, this is what makes us who we are. Okay, we keep the Sabbath, we get circumcised. That's what we do. So for them to have an idea that these Gentiles can kind of come on board because as we were taught this weekend christianity which in is clearly taught in the book of acts started out as an offshoot of judaism oh yeah it started out as a sect of judaism because all the jews were like yep we're following this new teacher and in the new testament we read how many times about how this one teacher would rise up and have a great following and then it would fall away you know this wasn't a strange or weird you know thing so we read about all the way up through the time of Christ that circumcision circumcision was part of what makes us who we are. So for these Gentiles to come on board and be a part of this group and worship our God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and think that they cannot get circumcised is insane. Oh, and, and to say that what... Um what qualifies them to do that is mm-hmm. the fact that that living God now indwells that person. You got it. That yeah, that uh, was no that we didn't have that. <laughs> that never happened before. Some Roman guy standing there. Can yeah. you imagine the difficulty that there were some major changes at the time of Christ, and it was it was difficult to swallow. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay, so can I get into something that I had a big disagreement with that I wanted to talk through? Oh, yeah, yes, let's the, do it. The good news is, okay, and keep in mind, for, for anyone that's listening, and if, if Dr. Reichman ever listens to this, which I don't think he will because he literally asked me what a podcast was when, when I was driving him back to his hotel. Okay, understand, I love the man. We support him. Okay, our church took him on yeah, for, yeah, yeah, for yeah. support. He like, told me that. Yeah, we're, I mean, we, we, we are thrilled with what he's doing. I do think that he needs to go back and check the scripture on this one point. You asked a question about the 10 tribes. Yes. Yes. Okay. His answer was only partly correct and either missing vital information or, you know, dare I say, 
incorrect. So the question you asked was about the 10 tribes. <clears throat> and just to give the background very quickly for everyone, you have, if we're talking about first and second Kings. We have King David. King David has a son and King David dies. He has more than one son, but we're just going to focus on King Solomon. King Solomon ends up dying and the kingdom is split into two. A northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The southern kingdom is ruled by Rehoboam, Solomon's son. The northern kingdom is ruled by a fellow named Jeroboam. Jeroboam was not one of Solomon's sons. Him and his father were actually exiled to Egypt. And he came back and took over the northern kingdom. So there was... There were, at times, a civil war between the two, mm -hmm. Okay, but they definitely drew a hard line Oh yeah, and oh, said, yeah. that's the northern kingdom, this is the southern kingdom. So, if you fast forward several hundred years, what you find out is that the Assyrian kingdom, or the nation of Assyria, came against the northern kingdom and invaded the northern kingdom and surrounded the capital city, which was Samaria, mm -hmm. and they laid siege to it and they broke into the city and they took over and they took the king and they took all of his sons and lined them up in front of him and they killed every single one of his sons and then the last thing they did to him was they put out his eyes so that was the last thing he would ever remember and they tied him up and they chained him up and they marched him off to assyria where he died mm -hmm. along with the 10 tribes that are up there no Oh, here we go. That is the problem. Along with the Jews that lived in the Northern Kingdom, you cannot correctly say that he marched off 10 tribes because he did not. He marched off 12 tribes. Yeah, now you're wondering. Well, you're well, like, wait a minute. Well, no, I, <laughs> I, I, I just want to make sure I understand. Yeah, and, I, and I'm, I'm going to get more, to it. Yeah, I'm more interested in... Um, the amount of people sure like were how many israelites mm -hmm. that lived in the northern kingdom sure. were left in israel when assyria was done taking them out yeah and there were some just like when babylon took away the jews in the southern kingdom there were, there were some, some that were left over it's not like there were none but we we even read about that later on in Obadiah because some of the Jews escaped and then the Edomites like helped round them up and yes, bring them to yes, the Babylon yes, yes. Babylonians. Right, right, right. So my point is simply this, and this is what I wanted to explain to everyone because the the ten tribes that were taken away is an incorrect statement, and we have to stop using it because it is the foundation of some horrible doctrines. Okay. The Assyrians took away the northern kingdom of Israel. That's who they took away. They did not take away 10 tribes, and I'm going to prove that. The Bible says it very clearly. So here's what I want to explain. Okay, so I'm going to give you the story and jump in with a question if you have one, but I think you're going to see where I'm going very quickly. So at the time that Jeroboam took over, he didn't want everyone traveling to the south kingdom to Jerusalem three times a year for the feast days. And it says that specifically in 1 Kings chapter 12, verses 25 to 27. Would you like me to 
Yeah. Okay. Let's go. Let's go through this while we're doing so it. First Kings twelve. Yeah. First Kings twelve. I'm going to bring it up on my phone because my Bible's over there. First Kings twelve. What did I say? Twenty five. Twenty five to twenty seven. To twenty seven. Okay. Here we go. Bada bing. So twenty five. First. Let's see. It didn't like that. Ephraim. Ephraim. Yeah. <laughs> First Kings 12. Okay, let's just do that. Really? It doesn't like 1 Kings 12? This is unbelievable. <laughs> All right, I'll just... This new technology, I'll, man. Yeah, I'm telling it's you. useless. I'm just going to go select it. Man, it, that's exactly what I typed in. Whatever. Okay, and we're going to start with verse 25. And it, it very clearly tells the story. Then Jeroboam built Shechem in Mount Ephraim and dwelt therein and went out from thence and built Penuel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now shall the kingdom return to the house of David. If this people go up to do sacrifice in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then shall the heart of this people turn again unto their Lord, even unto Rehoboam, king of Judah. And they shall kill me and go again unto Rehoboam, king of Judah. Fair enough. So he had the concern. He had the concern because... Every single Jewish male that was able to travel must go to Jerusalem three times a year for Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the mm-hmm. Feast of First Fruits. Then, after the Feast of First Fruits, 50 days later, Pentecost. Then, in the fall, the Feast of Tabernacles, Rosh Hashanah, and Yom Kippur. Yes. The Jews had to do that every single year. And even all the ones that lived in the Northern Kingdom that he was now in charge of, they were going to go down there. Sure. And he's like, well, I can't have this because they're all going to side with the guy that has Jerusalem in his kingdom sending half yeah. of your half of your country every you year into and somebody else into land. someone else's country to worship their god mm-hmm. so he's like i can't have this we got to fix this okay so what did he do if you go down to verses 31 to 33 we find out he then made his own priesthood mm-hmm. and his own feast days jeroboam built golden calves and told his people to worship them he said they were the gods that brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And that's in 1 Kings chapter 12, verses 28 to 30. So let's read that. Yep. Whereupon the king took counsel and made two calves of gold and said unto them, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. Who are the counselors? It's like, you know what? <sighs> Golden calves have worked in the past. Yeah, we did. We've we've done this before. I remember reading something about this. I think it worked out great. Yeah, this plan was flawless, and uh, nothing nothing bad came of the men who brought it up last time. He said one in Bethel. Do you know what Bethel means? Bethel, I think, is. Um, I mean, El is Lord. Beth- it is. Beth is house. House of the Lord. It's yeah. the house of God. He set up one in Bethel and put the other in Dan. And this thing became a sin for the people went to worship before the one even unto Dan. Okay, so then what he does, he makes his own priesthood Mm -hmm. and he makes his own feast days. Verse 31, and he made an house of high places and made priests of the lowest of the people, which were not of the sons of Levi. Jeroboam ordained a feast in the eighth month. Zach, I hate to tell you. 
I know when the feasts are. There's not one in the eighth month. That is correct. <laughs> okay. That is correct. So I don't think any of them have to do with golden calves. No, nope, no, they don't. I can tell you for a fact they don't. So we made one on the eighth month, on the 15th day of the month, like onto the feast that is in Judah. And he offered upon the altar. So did he in Bethel, sacrificing onto the calves that he had made. And he placed in Bethel the priests of the high places, which he had made. Okay. So there it is. You have priests, you have high places, you have altars you have gods you have feast days he made his own system of pagan worship yep. agreed yes and this was the first king of the northern of kingdom the north. and this is his first act read first kings this is like step one <laughs> okay this was his great idea i wonder how this went for him it did not go well but this is the important point for all of us Number one, we need to remember the land was divided up into 12 lots, one for each tribe. But those lots of land were not boundaries that the tribes couldn't cross. Oh, sure. From the very sure. beginning. Number two, prior to the Assyrian kingdom taking over, a substantial portion of the northern kingdom left and moved to the southern kingdom. They didn't want to worship idols. They wanted to worship God in the temple turn with me to second chronicles chapter 11 and mm -hmm. we will read this mm -hmm. second chronicles chapter 11 in verses 14 15 and 16 for the levites left their suburbs and their possession and came to judah and jerusalem for jeroboam and his sons had cast them off from executing the priest's office unto the lord so jeroboam fired the priests what was that second chronicles 11 verses 14 15 and 16. So Jeroboam fired the Levitical priests because they weren't needed. They weren't needed anywhere. So what did they do? They went south because mm -hmm. that's where the temple was and Jerusalem was, and they were going to execute the priest's office and they were going to do it down there. Verse 15, and he ordained him priests for the high places and for the devils and for the calves, which he had made. And after them, this is talking back to verse 14 after the levitical priests after them out of all the tribes of israel such as set their hearts to seek the lord god of israel came to jerusalem to sacrifice mm -hmm. unto the lord god of their fathers so here's my point the idea that there were 10 lost tribes is nonsense there's pieces of each of the tribes yes. still in judah when the Assyrian yeah. kingdom took over, they took away all the Jewish people in the northern kingdom, minus whatever remnants were able to escape that happened to live in the land. But they took Jews from each of the 12 tribes because not only did the Levites and all the uh, God-fearing, you know, um, adherent Jews move to the south, but guess what? any pagan idol-worshipping Jews that lived in the southern kingdom, it was a capital crime to worship pagans. So where do you think they, what do you think they did? Do you think they stayed there? No, they moved up north where it was not only allowed, it was promoted. So you have people from the southern kingdom moving up north. You have people from the northern kingdom moving down south. You have all 12 of these tribes mixing up Mm -hmm. So when the Assyrians took away the Jews from the northern kingdom, it wasn't 10 tribes. It definitely wasn't a neat bundle of 10 groups of oh, people. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm, and 
it was a percentage that. of the country and that was it and so, that that's my point is yeah. i feel it is a, because you know what happens is that you have a very messy anti-semitic doctrine that comes from the 10 lost tribes and that is if you can believe it that the jews in israel today are not actual jews that's the 10 well, lost tribes theory well what what are the actual jews in israel then like, who's in israel oh some imposters that need to be kicked out and the real jews need to move in there and so the, the, it's the, a mess do you want to know the proponents of the 10 lost tribe theory that pushed this lay it on us uh skinheads <laughs> no i'm serious white supremacists these are the people that it is an anti-semitic doctrine and obviously i'm not saying that you know anyone we know believes this i'm just saying that it is important that we don't say the assyrian kingdom took away 10 tribes because they did not and that leads to problems they took away the northern kingdom and yes, they took them away. And then what they did was they didn't keep all the of the Jewish prisoners, or we should say Jewish slaves, from the Northern Kingdom together. Sure. They spread them out all over their land to mix them in with all these other people groups. And that is that was one of their military tactics to uh, prevent an insurrection. Yeah, yeah. And okay. they did that consistently with everyone. With they every took group they had. And and what we find out later is that um, some of the Jews that mingled in with different groups, they ended up coming back to the land later, and they ended up being a group of people that most of the Jews hated, called Samaritans. Okay, we find out, you know, sure, sure, more, sure. Yeah. more about. Okay. The history marches on. Yeah, but that that is simply my point is that it, we can't say 10 tribes because it wasn't 10 tribes. It was the Northern Kingdom, and that was it. So in the Southern Kingdom that remained until Babylon took them away, there were members of all 12 tribes. That's my point. And, and that's why we read about all 12 tribes later on in the Bible, even at the time of Christ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, um, so Paul is from Benjamin. You got it? Yeah. It's, I, yeah, I, I think there's, I don't think there's any, I mean, I've never thought that it was like, okay, well, after the Northern Kingdom is gone. Yeah, there's only two it, tribes yeah, left, and that's yeah, it. Yeah, and that's it. And then they're only, you only refer to Judah, so I'm, sure. maybe Simeon's gone too. I don't know. Like, yeah. why do we even mention two? Well, there's only <laughs> one that's ever yeah. talked about, so what's the point? There are Levites in the New Testament. Uh, that's my point. Of course, That's yeah. my point. And, and Zach, I know that you... And Dr. Reichman and I don't believe in the 10 Lost Tribes theory. I'm just saying that the Bible contains this story mm -hmm, for mm -hmm. a reason to point out to us that. So when, um, when we think about the reconstitution mm -hmm. of the nation of Israel. At what time? At, well... 1948 okay among uh, i mean we're not talking also, nehemiah and ezra after babylon we're talking about after 70 AD. I, I think the the babylonians if my understanding is correct are the first people who started referring to is israelites as jews maybe i don't know uh, because there were 
the tri- the so many people that they exiled in Babylon were from the tribe of Judah mm-hmm. that that was like a nickname that they started to develop for these Judahites. Sure. So we're calling them Jews. Mm-hmm. So I, I think the vast majority of the people that were taken by Babylon were the tribe of Judah. I don't I, doubt I, it because that yeah, was, you know, that the was majority of the southern kingdom. Who all knows who's yeah. going north and south and whatever else. Um, but let me re-ask you the same question that I asked him. Go ahead. And, and change some verbiage. Yeah. Do you see a time when the northern kingdom... Mm-hmm people who had been exiled mm-hmm. by Assyria in that time, their descendants come back to the land of Israel in order to fulfill the prophecy of Israel being back in the promised land. So I think that here's the problem for me to say that hasn't happened means not one single one of them has made it back. And I Which ha- obviously, and I have to imagine that out of all the people that were, taken away we have to assume one of two things number one they were all idol worshiping pagans who really did not care about the things of god okay which is hard to say for everybody or number two there were some god-fearing god-honoring obedient jews who just didn't happen to move south that lived in the northern kingdom And we know that's the case because we have prophets from the Northern Kingdom, even after the split, who followed after God. Sure, sure. So then this is what I'm going to say to you. Not everybody can just pick up and move. No, it's not that easy for everyone. So, Zach, that means, and keep in mind, we are a step away from extra biblical, or I'm sorry, we are in extra biblical. This is conjecture. I have no, there is absolutely no way someone could convince me that all of the Jews that were taken away by the Assyrians, there weren't families that lit two candles every Friday night, even when they were in captivity. And whatever portions of the Tanakh they had, they continued to study them. Mm -hmm. And they circumcised their son on the eighth day, even in a pagan land. I have no trouble believing that that happened and people continued to teach their children who they were and where they came from and then they made it back into israel sometime in the future now i'll give you another one when the southern kingdom was taken away to babylon they lived in babylon for 70 years when they went back to the land how many jews went back i know there's a number there there is the bible I, tells I, yeah, us yeah i don't know what the number is but i know when they because they originally go back to start um repop resettling and then uh building the temple mm-hmm. but i don't know what the number is and there's but it, it counts by tribes as well i think doesn't uh-huh. it the maybe, num- no maybe not the number is less than 40,000. That's got to be in... Edition. Here, I'll find it. You look for a second. I'm going to grab my Bible. I have it, like, highlighted, so it'll only take a second. Sure, yeah. Grab your grab your real thing there. Yeah, it's got to be Ezra chapter 2. Oh, here we go. 
I don't know if there's tribes, but the whole congregation together was forty and two thousand three hundred and three score. Where where are you at there? Uh, Chapter two, verse sixty four, and it adds it up throughout chapter two. It doesn't look like there's a lot of tribe names there, but there there are lineages and there are names of families. Here's my point, Zach. How many Jews were taken away captive to Babylon? 70 years prior. Uh, now, I'm not asking for an exact number because yeah, I, I have no think, idea. Yeah, I don't think there is a number on that one, but I'm guessing it can was we, Can we guess that it was lot. several million? Now, keep in mind how many of them were killed off. Sure. Okay, probably a lot. Okay, when they took away slaves, they didn't bring the elderly with them. They were worthless. Okay, so there are plenty that they were going to kill. Plenty died in battle because sure, there was a sure. there were three sieges that went on for quite a while. And then when they came in, they were none too happy that they had to go through all the rigmarole, so they killed a lot of people. Yep. But can we agree that they took away quite a few more than 42,000? The I, po- would, I would guess so, yes. <laughs> the point is even after they took away a large number, they lived in Babylon in relative freedom okay ezekiel lived in a suburb of babylon in an agricultural area Mm -hmm. where they were allowed to live and worship their god Uh, they weren't really bothered as much as we would think of slaves being bothered we we think about uh shadrach meshach and abednego sure Yeah. yeah yeah okay so they were not treated as slaves were in Egypt many generations before, okay, during the time of Moses, they were not treated as slaves were in some parts of the world and in America as far as Uncle Tom's cabin goes. These people had lives. They they raised their kids. They got married. They, they had jobs. They built a home and a life for themselves over these 70 years, which you got to remember, 70 years, that's a couple generations. Oh, yeah, yeah. So when it's been, it's been 70 years since uh little 75 years since in Israel was rebuilt as a nation as so a nation like, that's that's some time that's some time so when they had the chance to go back most of them said no no, no thanks we're good so then I ask you the same question what about them they mm-hmm. have as much right to the land as the ones that went with Assyria. Oh yeah, sure, sure, sure. So, so again, have they come back to the land? Were there any God honoring, obedient uh, Jews in Babylon that did not go back at first for whatever reason? And then when they heard that the temple was built and the wall was built and the city was restored and the priesthood you know, started sacrificing and the incense was burned and the showbread was on the table. Did someone not say, we need to go back? Yeah, you know what? Maybe it's time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We sure. need to go back. Sure, sure, sure. So obviously they all have a right to the land. It's their land. God said so. And it's impossible for me to say that none from the northern kingdom that were taken away by Assyria or none that were taken away to Babylon and initially decided not to go back and remained in Babylon after the 70 years when Ezra went, it's impossible for me to say that, no, none of them ever went back because obviously some must have. Yeah, yeah, sure. 
So, so where does the idea come from then that there's not that that the that the country isn't completely like the rebuilding isn't finished yet because more people need to come back? Is that just kind of bogus too? Well, <clears throat> here, okay. So, my take is that it is that that prophecy has been fulfilled. The idea that not every Jewish person on earth has made it back oh, sure, is sure. not what's required. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, no. you know, they came back, and then as Isaiah said, they will. my people will come back a second time. And they did. After 70 AD, they dispersed throughout the world. And then they came back shortly after World War II, and they made it a nation again. So... I believe that's been fulfilled. The The nation flies under the Star of David for the first time mm-hmm. in almost 2,000 years. Um, Hebrew has been adopted as the national language. <clears throat> they, it, If it were possible, they would already be uh performing sacrifices there that you know they would have uh started up mm-hmm. uh the levitical priesthood and they would be doing all of their normal things that they you know one day hope that they would do again in jerusalem uh jews are traveling back there every year for passover and for pentecost uh and for yom kippur and, and sukkot so i think it's a hundred percent fulfilled that one's done oh it's absolutely done now that zach i have met people that have done the dna test and found out they were half jewish mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and packed up and moved yeah, yeah. and well, they got there all said his dad moved back yep and, yeah. and got their israeli citizenship mm-hmm and that's where uh, they live now because they felt and, and keep in mind they were saved people so they knew the scriptures yeah and they felt like uh, God was telling them to go. So I think that's going to continue to happen until, you know, oh, yeah, the yeah, end yeah. times. Yeah, none of these things, like, when you have um, a little bit of life experience under your belt, um, unless the numbers are given to us specifically, mm-hmm. then we know. Like, I think uh, Daniel mm-hmm. may not have made it back. I I I've, don't think so. If someone asked me, keep in mind, <clears throat> conjecture. It, it is conjecture. But what we know is that Daniel was in charge of a certain group. Funny enough, he was in charge of the wizards <laughs> and the sorcerers <laughs> and the astrologers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we also know that those wizards and sorcerers and astrologers were part of the group that identified the star right, right. in the east that traveled over to Bethlehem and they told the muckety mucks in Babylon, this is the time. Yep. Time so, for us to go. So either Daniel got that done in the 70 years, which he might've, but I believe that Daniel remained and continued to teach the Bible to all of those folks I believe there was a great host of folks that got saved and worshiped God in Babylon. We know Nebuchadnezzar was one of them. Okay. Toward the end of his life. Sure. Sure. So for me, I have trouble believing that Daniel came back. Number one, because we never read about him and you'd think we would have read something, but we also don't read emphatically that he stayed, but I think he probably saw it that, God gave him a mission 
and he was going to fulfill that mission. And God was blessing and using him, and and therefore he made such an impact in that country that, you know, four or five hundred years later. Yeah. Daniel isn't one of the people that got lost to the exile. Yeah. And but are you are you basically on board though with the idea that the northern kingdom that there are um that it's lost and gone? Absolutely. What's the is there a is there a reconstitution of the entirety that I mean you say 1948 is the reconstitution of the entirety of the Israeli people mm-hmm. and it's that's over and it's done with and there's people can move in and out but there's nothing there, there's no other step to look forward Correct. to there yeah I don't I don't believe so I've never seen anything in the scriptures that would indicate that something needs to happen with the northern kingdom you got to remember i mean really zach think of this you know during the civil war we were all americans one day and then the next day oh yeah 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 you're union or confederate you got it but you know so I, i i don't see that there was a difference they were all the nation of israel the day before Solomon died and the day after Solomon died and the day that Jeroboam came and, you know, the country was split into two, you know, they were still all one nation of God's chosen people. It just so happened that one group, you know, veered off into complete paganism and one group veered off into predominant paganism, (laughs) (laughs) almost exclusive paganism. Held out for a couple hundred more years. Yeah, had a couple good Yeah, 150 years longer. Is is there a concept here from from Romans 11? I've heard people argue this a little bit. Um, Lest you be wise in your own sight. This is 11, 25, and 26 in, uh, in Romans. I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. I, I, I think I've heard that verse used in the, the time of the Gentiles has to pass. Yes. And then after that, there's going to be something that happens with Israel. Correct. And all of them being saved has something to do with the return of the people who were taken. Okay, so, I, I don't know that that's necessarily the case. So I can tell you what I think this says. So <clears throat> what you have is blindness in part is happened to Israel. Yes. Not everybody is blind, but the major, majority of the Jews are. The guy who wrote this wasn't. You got it. Right. Until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. So the way I read the scripture is that there is a counter. You ever look up the national debt clock? Tick, 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 tick. Keeps going up. Listen. Right? I did it once. That <laughs> it was, was so depressing. I don't need to know the number. It, that once was enough. Yeah. So in the same way, there is a counter for all the Gentiles that God is waiting for to receive Christ as their Savior. And at that time, the Gentile, the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, and that is when the rapture is going to happen. That's when the Lord is going to return. Do you remember uh, back when God was talking to Abraham, and he said, this is your land. Now, you can't have it yet, because the wickedness of the Amorites is not 
been right. filled. Sure. Meaning that they still had time to repent and get right with God. And God was give, God, in, in some manner that we don't know about, God was working on the Amorites, hoping that they would turn from their wickedness. They did not. And then God justly took their land from them and gave it to the nation of Israel. Mm-hmm. In the same way, the time of the Gentiles isn't fulfilled yet. So we are waiting for Gentiles to get saved and it to be finished. And then after that, what do you have? The way that the timeline works out for all of us that have a correct understanding of eschatology, you have the rapture, you have a three and a half year period. In the middle of that three and a half year period, you have an Antichrist that stands up in the Holy of Holies and causes the sacrifices to cease and says that he is God. And then you have a three and a half year period where the wrath of God is poured out on the nation of Israel. And at the end of that wrath, what do they all do? The book of Hosea tells us that they all acknowledge that they were wrong. Pontius Pilate was right and that Jesus was Messiah. Mm-hmm. And that is when all Israel shall be saved. And I, I think that is the connection that I'm uh, part of the connection I was thinking of with the Northern Kingdom question is what what is the future mm-hmm. for the descendants of the people who were taken away? Okay, I, so then let me ask you another one. Like, And these are like, just, they just give me a headache, and I think they're a waste of time to ask, but it's like, okay, l- let me give you an example. So remember, yeah. the, the context for that question was when you draw out the full borders mm-hmm. of the promised land, yeah. it's like several orders of magnitude larger than the current land. Sure. So the discussion we were having this morning is who's supposed to fill the land? Well, and that's the thing. Are people going to come back to the land or? Zach, I have often wondered if this new DNA ability to be tested, which costs like, what, 50 bucks? I mean, it's nothing. Do you know if everyone in the world took that, do you know how many people would find out they were Jewish? Oh, well, you got millions of people that were spread everywhere. You're yes. going to have a little drop of blood here or there. Well, sure. okay, so that begs a couple of questions. But my point is, if that ends up being the case, and there is actually, after uh, the rapture, uh, a time when people are like, you know what, uh, I think I'm supposed to be back there. And maybe that, I cannot for the life of me, believe that those borders discussed in uh joshua chapter one verse four said one yeah and you also find it in genesis god uh, gave those borders to abraham i believe but i'd 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 have to check again it might have been moses but i thought it was abraham the idea that it goes from the nile down into at least halfway down into the saudi arabian peninsula all the way over to um uh, or north to Lebanon, uh, west to the to the Mediterranean Sea, and then you follow the Tigris and the Euphrates all the way down. Okay, to the Gulf of. It's not the Gulf of Aqaba, is it the Gulf of? 
I can't remember. Okay. Anyway, you can, you can look yeah, it up. I've My got, geography, yeah. I'm missing one point. Yeah. Right um, that land, I have trouble believing that that land is going to be part of Israel during the millennial. Persian Gulf. The Gulf Persian Gulf. Ullman, yeah, is Persian. it the Persian Gulf? Okay. That, that's where, that's the where the Tigris and the Euphrates dump empty, into. Yeah, yes. okay, the Persian Gulf. I have trouble believing that those borders are going to be fulfilled during the millennial. I, I know they will be because Jesus will be in charge. So that's not that's not impressive. That's not a feat. I have this idea that they are going to be fulfilled prior to that, where God's going to say, nope, this is your land. And I believe some of that is going to have to do with the wars that we read about in the book of Ezekiel. Oh, so that's what I was asking Al about this afternoon. That you and I are going to talk about after the podcast? Was that the no, secret no, subject? No, no, really? no, no, that one okay. we can do here. Okay. Sure, sure. So, but before we we've, before we get off into the weeds, th- this was the question that I had. So what percentage do you need in order to be Jewish and go back to the nation of Israel? Oh, sure. So yeah, what? think of this, okay? Um, the czars of Russia. Mm-hmm. Now, this is a joke amongst historians because the Russian czars are the least Russian people in the nation of Russia. Because what happened was you have the first czar of Russia, who I believe was Ivan, and he was Russian-born. Russian mom, Russian dad. Ivan was Russian. Well, his son... What they wanted to do was they wanted to consolidate power. So he grew up and they married him off to a princess of another country. Of course. To help consolidate power. Yes. So Ivan's son, who is Russian, marries the queen from whatever, you know, Latvia, Lithuania, sure, Estonia, sure, Poland. Yeah. I mean, whatever country existed at the time. I don't you know, I don't even remember the dates. The only Russian czars I care about are Nicholas, Alexander, Peter, and Catherine. Those are the you know, the ones that I know from history. Okay, so so Ivan's grandson is 50% Russian. Well, then he has a son, and they marry him off. Of course. So 25. then the next... You got it! <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 sure. So within, like, five generations, there's so little Russian blood in the Russian czar that, you know, he is more uh, British or more, you know, Spanish or French or, I yeah, mean, whatever yeah. you want to... So if, if you're going to draw a line, it needs to be a big one. So like it needs to be 50 or 100. Well, that's my question is, yeah, what yeah, yeah. you know, how does that work? And what's the line where, you know, you're still considered, you know, Jewish? Sure. What's sure. the percentage that, and I'm, I, I guarantee I'm not the first one to ask this question. Oh, There's no, a rabbi no, no. over in Israel arguing with another one right now about yeah. the, you know, 23andMe, you know, saliva 5. DNA yeah, test. Sure, and sure, they sure. came up yeah. with a number and they're like, oh, yeah, yep, this guy missed it by, you know, two-eighths of one percent. I, I think I think I'm one, <laughs> one sixty-fourth Cherokee. Oh, okay. Something, yeah, Is well, that enough to get minority status and, like, get your kids into Harvard for free? That's something I should check into. It's worth a shot. <laughs> Let's see, they're, uh, if, if oh, you, think- you want to talk about a pair of mutts, those kids. <laughs> so they would be one, well, they'd be, uh, what, quarter, 12.5%, 12.5% Mexican, is that, can, uh, can I get something? Maybe, there? I don't know. So I can tell you this. 
and I don't want this known, but I, my sister, did one of those DNA tests and found out that our family, at least my sister and I, you know, from the same mom and dad, are just over 85% Irish. Whoa. I know. Which is... That's a lot. You almost don't find that anymore. Sure. You know, and um, that means... And and the rest is, uh, I think they said, Eastern European, or maybe Western. Uh, some mix of European. So there's a chance, okay? Little tiny drop of... Yeah, yeah, drop Judaism or two. In in there. Yeah. yeah, who knows? Okay, but 85% Irish. Now... With my wife, who is has some Irish in her, they might average out to close to half Irish. But I don't want that getting out for fear of someone running them out of the country for knowing that. Because we haven't had a great run in any place we've gone. Now... Yeah, I'm glad I, that that's kind of toned down, you know, since I'll, after the I'll, Civil War. A lot of slavery. Yeah. In the Irish Oh, Irish. History. Do you know what was waiting for the Irish when they came to America? Bad potato farms. People with rocks yeah. throwing them at old women and children as they got off the boat who didn't even speak English and literally throwing rocks at the Irish I, to go I, home, I, get I back on the it. boat. It I was, can believe that it. That was like a hobby of someone here in America yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, back in the day. Anyway, that's not what we're here to discuss. So, <clears throat> did you have any last kind of thought or question or point with the whole? You know, no, no. I think that's a good point. Um, I, I've thought some about the the expanse of the land, and I've thought about who are the people that are going to go into that land to fill them, and I've wondered about. All of those people from the northern kingdom that have kind of been scattered and lost. And it, it, what, did they, if they were that pagan, mm -hmm. did many of them even care, care to remain Jewish? To, to teach anything. Well, like, some probably not, and I'm others sure. I would assume were. Right. But that's that's the only thing I can do is is guess, and it makes sense to me that there would be a mix of course, you kind of think that most of them would be more on the pagan side. Zach, I hate to tell you, but when you read through the Bible, do you ever read through a period in the Bible where you think more than 20% of the Jews in Israel love and oh, worship God? There, there's, a, there's a reason why the word <laughs> remnant yeah. is sort of prevalent. That, yeah. that's, the, that's the point, and... And we, we see that so that we can understand today that's all we're going to get in Christianity and Christian churches. And Al and I were talking about that the other day. He was sitting in that chair that you're sitting in right now, and we were talking about the sad state of American churches and the small, small, small amount of Christians that actually read their Bible regularly, teach it to their kids. Al brought up... One of my favorite portions in the Bible found in Deuteronomy, and he talked about the, the Shema and the prayer about how it is the job of the father 
to teach these words onto his children when they rise up in the morning, when they lay down at night, when they, you know, come in and out of the door. Uh, it, it is our responsibility to do that. Seriously, what percentage of fathers do you know of in Christianity that take that seriously? And and by seriously, I don't mean, oh, well, we go to church every Sunday. Because that's it's pretty serious, isn't it? Yeah, because you know, yeah, sure, that's sure, not sure, what yeah. God meant. Yeah. Yeah, and it's um, would would a remnant be who, a reasonable who, who percentage? Well, we we might we might get a chance to find out, but uh, yeah, I, th- I think the I would hope that there were pockets. I mean, I'm thinking through the guys that that, that you I, know. That I, get the, <laughs> I get the privilege of pastoring, you know, and I there's I, it's like there's got to be some. Yeah, I, I I think we hit over twenty percent. I I. Uh, I'm pleased overall. Yeah, I think, but but I mean, you're also talking about guys I've been with for 20 years. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of people who've been in and out. Sure, there's a lot of people who were buying in for a little bit mm-hmm. and took off. A lot of people left their families. Yeah, and um, my number one message that I have for our church. And whenever I get the guys together for anything by ourselves, I bring up the idea that my goal is that everyone in our church takes the study of the Bible seriously, personally in their home and with their family, and that they make it their hobby, and that they know that I will freely give them the tools that they need. I have study materials i have videos i have mp3s to listen to Mm -hmm. i have workbooks i have anything you need i will sit down one-on-one with you and teach you how to teach your kids the bible and how to do this because i believe it is the most important thing in christianity strong families will make a strong church and you are not going to have a strong family unless everybody in the family sees the dad taking it seriously and leading his family and everybody believes that this is one of the most important things in our life and that's my goal and my hope and my dream for all the members of my church and all the folks that attend whether it's happening i mean i haven't you know taken a poll (laughs) yeah done some scorecards yeah but we that is my constant message and hope and dream there you go. Uh, you want go? You want more? Was there? Did you have what? anything else that was interesting you wanted to talk about? Well, if you really want to do some Gog and Magog, I, I, did you get into it? A little bit, yeah. Let me hear it. Give me some so, ideas. So I asked him about the Valley of Dry Bones. Okay. Ezekiel thirty-seven. Mm-hmm. What's? Are we looking forward to something there? Are we done? Mm-hmm. Same thing. He goes, nope, we're done. Value dry bones is fulfilled. Israel was dead. They are now alive. Okay. We, we, we saw it happen. Mm-hmm. 1948. Mm-hmm. We, we've got a state. So the the nation of Israel has been re, reborn. Okay. Know, resurrected. Uh-huh. Let's put it that way. Then in Ezekiel 38 and 39. Mm-hmm. The have, only two chapters. Wait, are there more than those two chapters in the Bible? One other in mention. Ezekiel? <laughs> one, one other mention. Uh-huh. So there's Gog and Magog. Mm-hmm. 
uh, a kingdom of the north, right? These are people of the north. So I asked him a little bit of like, are, are we Russia here? Are we? I'm going to argue that. That they're not from the north? They not they are not necessarily from the north. So let's pull that one up. So mm-hmm. here's what I asked him. Yeah. I said, I've heard for my whole life mm-hmm. that Gog and Magog, mm-hmm. Ezekiel 38 and 39, mm-hmm. is the battle of Armageddon. And you know, they're they're coming to Jerusalem to fight. Yeah. And, and I said, but there's one other place where it's and we're watching to see. Mm-hmm. Putin invades Ukraine. Yeah. And you get on Facebook and mm-hmm. here comes Gog and Magog. Sure. So now the only thing I want to bring up is the point that when when Babylon was prophesied about invading Israel, they were talked about as those people from the north. They're not from the north. They're due east. I, the, uh, yeah. I just want to bring up the point sure. that from Babylon to Israel, you had to follow the rivers and then go south through present-day Lebanon because of the impassable desert of Saudi Arabia. So when we read about the people from the north, sometimes, yes, they are actually literally in the north and coming south, but sometimes they're, they're just, just arriving. attacking from the north. Because so, it does say that they come from the north. Yeah, and right? and it says, uh, "Behold, uh, I will turn to uh, come up." Okay, and I will turn thee back and leave, but the sixth part of thee, and will cause thee to come up from the north parts, and will bring thee upon the mountains of Israel. I get it. I'm I'm just. Sure, sure. Throwing so, that out there well, because a, with prophecy, you know that it's if we sometimes you can play a little fast and loose with prophecy because it's like we take it too literally and then we're like, oh, okay, that's what he meant. And then there are other times when we take it loose and we're like, wow, that was exactly exact. You know, so, I've been doing a little bit of work on the New Testament use of the old testament okay they do some things that don't really fit my comfortable hermeneutic Mm -hmm. framework sure um so here was my question to to al though Mm -hmm. the the nation of israel is is resurrected Mm -hmm. it's valley of dry bones chapter 37 gog and magog arrive in chapters 38 and 39 the only other time that I know of Wait, that those words are used yeah, is in Revelation. Yes. However, uh-huh. it's after the millennial reign. Uh-huh. They don't attack before. Yeah, so, but you and so I then, have a difference of opinion on certain parts of Revelation. And this is something you brought up before about the timeline of the rapture. And I just want to give you this idea to chew on. Okay, so just sure, uh, sure, allow sure. me 30 seconds. Please. There is a literary term, a literary device called a summary. And we see it used in scripture several times. Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's used where a summary is given, which is just a verse or two. And then that in that verse or two, they tell the middle, the, the beginning, the middle, and the end of the whole story. 
Sure. And then in verse three, they start the story and they give it in great detail. Yes. Well, if you look at it chronologically, as opposed to God using a summary device, then you're mixed up. Because you're like, oh, no, this happened, this happened, this happened. And now verses three to the end of the chapter is a different event. And it's like, no, no, no. He's retelling the same event. He just started with a summary. And now he's going into detail. And all I'm saying is that happens sometimes. And then people get mixed up because they're like, oh, look, he's explaining it here. And this happened after this. And it's like, no, 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 chronologically. It didn't have, it's the same event. It's just being explained now differently. So sure, sure, sure. So last question about before we get into Revelation and Gog and Magog, are we saying that 38 and 39 are tied to 37 as far as the battle? Because in 39 is the battle that has technology statements that has not happened yet. And I, I, I mentioned is he saying that 39 has already happened? No. Okay. No. Okay, good. But that they're because they're back to back with each other. Right. Doesn't matter. No, 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 it doesn't. <laughs> but uh-huh. you start going, okay, because of the key words that are used, uh-huh. you have Israel reconstituted as nation. Here's Gog and Magog. Here's what we know about Gog and Magog. Uh-huh. Al, help me. Sure. What am I looking at? Yeah. So I'm totally with you on the summary thing. Uh-huh. The problem is when you get to Revelation 20 mm-hmm. and you do verse 7. Mm-hmm. So verses 1 through 6 are the millennial reign. In verse 7, you have when the thousand years are ended, mm-hmm. Satan will be released from prison yep. and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth. Yeah. Gog and Magog. Yeah. To gather them for battle, their number is like the sand of the sea. Mm-hmm. They marched out over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints, the beloved city, and the fire came down from heaven and consumed them. The devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire where the beast and the false prophet were, and they were tormented day and night forever and ever. Mm-hmm. My only question then was, if... Gog and Magog, if that battle is not until after the millennium, I don't need to be real worried about Putin being involved in it. So what you're saying, or what the the premise that you're starting from, is that Gog and Magog in Ezekiel 39 and Gog and Magog in Revelation is the same battle, not two battles by the same enemy. It could be two battles. Okay, and that is the, because in in Ezekiel thirty nine, understand that they use the weapons left on the battlefield as an energy source for the nation of Israel for seven years. And so that's one of the things we talked about. Is yeah, how there's a cleanup period after this fight. Yes. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that Gog and Magog were destroyed. It's just that the equipment and the weapons that they left on the battlefield during their not-so-organized retreat mm-hmm. were confiscated by the nation of Israel, and they were put to use. Correct. It doesn't mean that they wiped them off the face of the planet, so it could actually be the enemies again 
showing up in Revelation. Correct. My question was just simply, when you when you have terms like that that are clearly marking out an enemy, mm-hmm. and they're only used twice. Yeah, they're they're designed to be linked together. Like you're supposed to yeah. think of the two stories together somehow. It I could, agree. It, it could mean that there's a there's a prior event where he's using that template to talk about a later event. Mm-hmm. I I'm I would be fine with that. I was just asking the question. Because here's the thing. There is no reason for the result of Ezekiel 39 to take place in the final battle of Armageddon. So give, Here, give, here's give my everybody point. Get, yeah, give everybody the uh, okay. So the let me final, go. Let, okay, final, so let me uh, let me go over this. Let me go over this. For those of you that don't, first of all, we're at an hour and a half. Nobody is listening. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> like we're just burning we, up, you we, know, gigabytes for no reason. <laughs> Nobody get is here. Another cup of coffee and take yeah. off the headphones. <laughs> okay, but we're gonna go over it now. <clears throat> for those of you that are, have stuck with us so far, you're finally gonna hear something worth, you know, worthwhile. Oh, God bless them. So, <clears throat> understand that at some point in the future. The nation of Israel is going to be in a battle with an enemy that I think Zach and I will agree is not clearly defined as to who it is. Sure. Okay. The problem is in in Ezekiel chapter 39, there are several technology statements that were impossible up until modern warfare, modern weapons specifically unless god was to just do an act of some kind of supernatural okay sure but that's not the way it reads it is we are talking about nuclear weapons so here's the way it works if i start in ezekiel chapter 39 starting in verse 8 behold it is come and it is done saith the lord god this is the day whereof i have spoken and they that dwell in the cities of israel shall go forth and shall set on fire and burn the weapons both the shields and the bucklers, the bows and the arrows, and the hand staves and the spears, mm-hmm. and they shall burn them with fire seven years. Okay, so first of all, obviously Ezekiel had no concept of nuclear weapons. He didn't know what a missile was. No, he didn't know what sure, a missile of course, was. He didn't of know. Course. He didn't know what a SAM was. He didn't know. Okay, he didn't know what any of these things were. But he was describing what God had showed him, and he was describing the variety of weapons. And God could have showed him an arrow being shot from a bow and hitting the ground with an enormous yeah, explosion. Sure, we don't know we don't what know. Ezekiel saw. Okay, what we do know is that if you pile up every shield, arrow, hand staff, spear, and weapon from an enemy back in the days of Ezekiel and you piled them all up and lit them on fire, it ain't burning for seven years, but that's not all. It continues in verse 10. Listen to this. So that they shall take no wood out of the field, neither cut down any out of the forest for they shall burn the weapons with fire and they shall spoil those that spoiled them and rob those that robbed them, saith the Lord God. It talks about how Israel will not need to harvest lumber for the purpose of kindling a fire for the for the use 
of energy consumption, energy production. They won't need to do this for seven years because they have these weapons that somehow magically burn for seven years. So the belief is <clears throat> from several you know prophecy buffs is that whoever is attacking Israel is finally at the point where they are going to start using nuclear unless technology produces further and maybe you know in five or ten years well, from now there's well, something more special we have thermonuclear sure. and all sorts of okay. bizarre things yeah so the, the thought is that israel gathers up all of the weapons and is able to use them as an energy source for the entire nation of israel for seven years but it, it continues okay so let's let's read mm -hmm. further and this is even crazier and points us in the direction of nuclear fallout in verse 11, and it shall come to pass in that day that I will give unto Gog a place there of gravers in Israel, in the valley of passengers on the east of the sea, and it shall stop the noses of the passengers. And there shall they bury Gog and all his multitude, and they shall call it <clears throat> the valley of Hamangog. And seven months shall the house of Israel be burying of them. Just for the record, that is a ridiculous long time, a ridiculously long time to bury the fallen soldiers. Why does it take so long? <clears throat> and seven months shall the house of Israel uh, be burying of them that they may cleanse mm -hmm. the land. Why do you need to cleanse the land, Zach? You just dig a hole and push these guys in it with a bulldozer, right? Verse 13, yea, all the people of the land shall bury them and it shall be to them a renown <clears throat> the day that I shall be glorified, saith the Lord God, and they shall sever out men of continual employment passing through the land to bury with the passengers those that remain upon the face of the earth to cleanse it after the end of seven months they sh uh, shall they search. So they hire professionals to do this work. Verse 15, and the passengers that pass through the land, when any seeth a man's bone, then shall he set up a sign by it till the barriers have buried it in the valley of Hamangog. And also the name of the city shall be Haman, uh, Hamona, thus shall they cleanse the land. So what's going to happen is after this <clears throat> battle, number one, Israel is going to get an energy source from the weapons that are left on the battlefield that is going to power all of Israel for seven years. They're not going to need to harvest lumber in order to whatever, you know, back then they would heat their homes and they would cook and, okay, they would have an energy source with lumber. They're not going to need that because of the weapons left on the field. On top of that, it's going to take seven months to bury all the dead that died in the battlefield. Why would it possibly take that long? Well, it takes that long because the land has to be cleansed. So they hire out professionals that wear big, bright yellow suits and have oxygen masks because the air can't be breathed because it's not clean. It's irradiated. And when they're going through this, anytime someone sees a bone, a bone of one of the fallen soldiers, they are to mark it. So the professionals can come by and clean it up and dispose of it appropriately. That's a hazmat team, Zach. That's what it is. That's a nuclear yeah. response yeah. team. Okay, so. Did you see the, the HBO special on Chernobyl? No, I don't the, think so. Yeah. the When the... Um, when the nuclear reactor core when the computers exploded. just like shut down and said nothing's working oh, and everyone freaked out and did the oh, opposite of what they were supposed to it was such a mess they were doing a safety test yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> but um so months you can't 
when you have a high enough level of radiation, yeah, you can't even. There's almost nothing you can do for a little while. No, you just have to let it burn off. Nuclear radiation has a half-life. So no matter what radioactive isotope is present, there is an amount of time where it will uh, it will reduce. And when it reduces, it changes into a different type of isotope, sometimes another radioactive one, sometimes one that is inert. And when it finally has enough time and the radioactive isotopes change into inert ones, then the land is livable again because the radioactive elements are so low that it's not even harmful it's like i mean keep in mind we get radiation from the sun every day oh, sure, when we get sure, sunburned sure, sure. so there yeah. there's an amount <clears throat> you know flying through the air that is not going to kill you you know it's going to damage your skin it's the main cause of aging but it's not like you know nuclear fallout so that is the idea behind ezekiel chapter 39 if that's the case there is no reason <clears throat> For Israel to power anything after the millennium and the battle of Armageddon. Because the last battle, this is after the thousand years. Jesus has been ruling and reigning from Jerusalem. We are down here ruling and reigning with him with rods of iron. Satan's been bound up. It is Garden of Eden-like conditions. We are all living for centuries and centuries. Uh, Lions laying down with the lamb. It is as close to paradise on earth, as close to Garden of Eden conditions as we have ever seen for this thousand-year period. Then the thousand years is up. Satan is loosed from the bottomless pit where he was chained up for that period of time. He amasses an army. I don't even know who is still against God at this point. There must be But there's enough of them. They uh, gather at Armageddon. Okay, that's the staging area. And then they attack all the saints in Jerusalem. They give it one last go. It really doesn't go well for them. Basically, God's just like, you know, fire from the sky. They are vaporized. And then it's over. At that point, Jesus is sitting in Jerusalem. Yes. There's no need to power Jerusalem with the enemy's weapons. That's why I have so much trouble saying that it's the same event. I believe this is going to be pre-rapture, possibly post-rapture, pre-antichrist in the temple, okay, in the first half of the seven years. But I think this is going to be the massive blow to Islam and the Arab nations that is going to set them so far back that Israel's like, oh, and by the way, Dome of the Rock, okay, so, bulldozed. So it, I, since nobody's listening anyway, yeah. we may as well have some fun, may, right? <laughs> let's throw out wild <laughs> conjectures. Yeah, yeah, as many as I can think of all at once. Um, so later in that passage in Ezekiel 39, he starts uh-huh. talking about the birds yep. that come. Is that is that next? Yes. Okay. So read that quickly. Okay. And thou son of man, this is in verse 17. Thus saith the Lord God, speak unto every feathered fowl and to every beast of the field, assemble yourselves and come gather yourselves on every side to my sacrifice that I do sacrifice for you, even a great sacrifice upon the mountains of Israel, that you may eat flesh and drink blood. You shall eat the flesh of the mighty and drink the blood of the princes 
of the earth of rams of lambs and of goats and of bullocks all of them fatlings of bashan and ye shall eat fat till ye be full and drink blood till ye be drunken of my sacrifice which i have sacrificed for you thus shall ye be filled at my table with horses and chariots with mighty men and with all men of war saith the lord god and i will set my glory among the heathen and all the heathen shall see my judgment that i have executed and my hand that I have laid upon them, so the house of Israel shall know that I am the Lord their God from the day and forward. Again, that's no longer necessary after the millennium. There, there's no reason to prove to the nation of Israel or to the heathens. Now, in the six-day war, in the Yom Kippur war, okay, after Israel got back in the land, that was a great time where God showed supernaturally and miraculously that he is the protector of Israel. And every Arab uh, Muslim on earth should have written letters to their president at the time and been like, back off Israel. Don't go in there. Yeah, you just got spanked by a God stick. You guys need to figure this out because you're going to lose. You cannot take those guys over. They didn't learn their lesson, but you know god so, showed them right so what i like about that one then, give it to me is that the concept of the birds having something to eat i'll read uh -huh. this then i saw an angel standing in the sun and with a loud voice he called to all of the birds that fly directly overhead come gather for the great supper of god to eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and their riders and the flesh of all men both free and slave both great and small and i saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured and with, with it, the false prophet who was in the pre, who was in his presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshiped his image. These two men were thrown alive in the lake of fire that burns with sulfur and the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was seated on the horse, and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. That's Revelation, Revelation 19. And there's a lot about the birds so in Ezekiel 39. What, what I'm putting together personally yeah. Yeah, yeah. is there's concepts mm -hmm. from the Old Testament that seem to be, at least to my mind now, mm -hmm. repurposed. Because it's the language that John understands. Mm -hmm. to sh because that that's the episode where Jesus arrives in in Revelation 19, lays everybody to waste, mm -hmm. and then starts the millennium the millennial reign. Yeah, and then there's another battle after that. So you have the birds coming to eat the flesh. Mm -hmm. Then you have the millennial reign. Satan's released, then you have another battle, mm -hmm. and this time John says it's Gog and Magog. Okay. I think he's obviously thinking of Ezekiel 38 and 39. I don't have to say that, he, that he's describing mm -hmm. the same event, but he's using that language as something that he understands. And something that all the Jews points. would understand that when they read it, because let's face it. You know, we quote the Old Testament. That's what the writers of the New Testament do. Absolutely. Okay, and it doesn't mean that they are trying to fulfill prophecy that was given. They're just using they're using it as an example to exp to make a point. Sometimes they are, and sometimes Some, they are. So it could be, but and, but and I'm not keep sure. in mind. I'm not saying Ezekiel 39 cannot be 
I'm just from the evidence I read, I'm having trouble believing, I'm having trouble understanding the purpose of several of the points made because yeah. after the millennial reign of Christ, there's so, one battle. It happens the way we read it pretty quickly and then it's over and then Jesus is in charge and I just don't feel like there's an energy crisis that needs to be dealt with by the nation of Israel for the next seven years. My, you know? my, yeah. One of my questions to Al was... Since there's no sun, yeah, because God yeah. is the light, I have trouble believing we're going to have a hard time heating our homes. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I get it. Okay. Um, well, I, my One of my questions, though, to Al there was just... Is this a repurposing of ideas that the Jews would have known in a way that this is the language I have to use? And then the second one was when you have this nuclear fallout type of talk, what else do we think? Do we think we have a handle on that 20 years from now for how, when was Ezekiel written? Well, Ezekiel, Ezekiel was written during the Babylonian captivity, so that was going to be the five hundreds. Uh, yeah, between four and five hundred BC was when was was the timeline. Nobody had a nuclear a successful nuclear test until nineteen forty something three forty four. Yeah. So you have twenty thousand years, twenty four hundred years. Yeah. Where guys are banging their head against a wall trying mm-hmm. to figure out what in the world yeah. could be going on here. <laughs> well, and, you know, that was just like the technology verses we talked about with the idea that everyone is going to see Jesus when he comes back. Yes. And yes. everyone is going it? to see the Antichrist stand up in the temple. And it's like, okay, when this was written, you wouldn't have been able to see the Antichrist stand up in the temple if you were... 50 feet away sure yeah. the only way that happens is if it is broadcast and we have the technology now you were telling me that in kenya there are people that have never had heat or air conditioning in their I, homes and they have a smartphone i heard a story of a man who lives in the they call it the bush i mean it's out there sure um i don't know how this thing is even connected to anything yeah but He's got, he was taken into the city mm-hmm. on, on a trip for some reason. Yeah. Had never seen a flush toilet. <laughs> but he's got a smartphone. And he had angry birds. <laughs> I know I know people who live on fifty dollars a month. Yeah. Who have a smartphone. Yeah. I I mean it's there's some capacity here that we have not seen before. Sure. For sure. So statements like that about, you know, everyone's going to see it. Statements like this, which sound like, you know, I mean, the only thing that makes sense to me right now is nuclear weapons. These are technology statements that nobody could comprehend how it would work. Uh, Daniel even made mention of this in the end of his book. He said, Lord, I don't understand this. I don't know how this is going to work. And God said, don't worry about it. It wasn't written for you. You wrote it down, but it's for someone else. So just put it up and, you know, they'll make sense of it when the time comes. And then they missed it anyhow. Um, But there are 
clearly portions of the Bible that are written for a future time that the author would not understand. And in this case, like you're talking about, you know, 22, 23, 2400 years of Earth's history and Christians, people getting saved and coming to Messiah, and none of them know what we're talking about. Here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a very interesting and unique time. Mm-hmm. So, two two more quick ones, just yeah, give them, so, yeah, yeah so, something to something to chew on and think about. Yeah. Um, he had mentioned that one of the sacred cows that is being wait, 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 wait. You asked him about Ezekiel thirty nine and Revelation. Are they connected? Are they the same battle? What was his answer? Well, the, there's the Battle of, of Armageddon scenario, uh-huh. which is described in in Revelation. There, what you were talking 19. about. Um, I I don't the. Did the, he believe the, the two battles were the same? Revelation twenty and I don't even Ezekiel think he. Got, I don't even think he got. We to never that. got to that. Fair enough. Okay, yeah. go ahead. Which of course. Okay, something about a cow. Some of the sacred cows uh-huh. that people have been in, in Hinduism. All the cows are sacred. Can't well, kill yeah, any they're, of them. Well, they're your grandmother. Don't eat the cow. So, <laughs> mystery Babylon uh-huh. is the Roman Catholic Church, mm-hmm. and he goes. As time is going along, mm-hmm. there are people who are starting to consider the possibility of Mystery Babylon being the Islamic movement. Okay, so I have always believed that there was going to be a showdown between the Roman Catholic Church and Islam someday. Because there's our, they, ha- they have had those in the past. Obviously. And I think those are two of the main powers that are jockeying for world domination. And I don't doubt that they're going to have it out at some point in the end times. For real nerds, Uh there's a website called the the, uh, Joshua Project. Okay. Breaks down the entire world into people groups. Okay. And then lets you know what percentage of that people group is Christian, Mm -hmm. what percentage is evangelical. Mm Mm-hmm. What percentage, like the the major religion of it the is, people? Is my church listed on that on that <laughs> website somewhere? <laughs> a completely different set. All uh, forty one attendees. A <laughs> completely different people group. <laughs> I, you know what? I can submit an offer. I think. <laughs> uh, um, the vast majority mm-hmm. of the nations and people groups who have the lowest amount of believers in Jesus. Mm-hmm are islamic sure there are some buddhas there's some buddhism there's some hinduism especially around india Mm -hmm. but um vast majority of places i mean i'm talking like one percent less than one percent yeah of believers sure vast majority is islamic yeah so the entire middle east save israel and then he gave me one other one that i want to bounce off you that i'd never heard before okay Matthew 24, when Jesus says, this generation shall not pass. If, okay. you, if you start that counter, when Israel becomes a nation, mm-hmm. he goes, all you need mm-hmm. is one person who was alive mm-hmm. when the nation was constituted sure. to still be alive. Yeah. And you have a generation. 
I get it. That the generation has not passed. Okay. <clears throat> Which gives you the capacity to have some imminence still because you don't... How would we go back to birth records and figure out who's the... There's, But there is a cap there, but it's much like a generation could be... Well, generation defined in the book of Genesis is 120 you years. You could do 120 years. Yeah. And anywhere in that yeah. in that area. So that would be 68. 68. 2068. Yeah. So 2068 would be 120 years. Yeah. That's the outside yeah. limit of when the Lord's going to return. That's what you're saying? That's what he's saying. Yeah. I mean, I don't have a problem with that any more than I don't have a problem with... You know, several theories. <laughs> sure. They're all, you know, fun to talk about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're Here. all. I, I just, I just had never heard someone place it quite in those terms before. I've heard people say, "Well, you know, we got a lot of evidence for a generation being forty years." Mm-hmm. So you mark that. We got, um, we got evidence for seventy years. We got evidence for eighty years. We got evidence for a hundred years. So you could put out all of those markers. Mm-hmm. His, uh, his. His perspective is just slightly different. Or all, well, you, all you need is one person to have been alive that hadn't died yet. I mean, keep in mind, we're talking about 25 years from now is 100 years from the time that yeah, yeah, yeah. It's more 75 years right now. So, I mean, I, I don't have. Here's the, here's the only problem that I have with the idea that I, Zach, my whole life as a Christian, which. I mean, let's face it, I'm 43 years old. I got saved when in my early 20s. Yeah. You know, so let's say I've been saved for 20 years. It's not that long. But in those 20 years, not a day has gone by where I didn't hear a Christian say that, oh, man, Lord's going to be back any day now. Did you hear what was on the radio? I can't believe it. Yeah, the world is falling apart. The Lord's coming back yeah. any day. Look, look at the inflation. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I have heard that so many times by every Christian. And I'm like, you know what, guys? I kind of have a feeling that Christians have been saying this for about 1,900 years. And you know why? Because, number one, Jesus said he was coming back soon. Thanks for the help. Okay. <laughs> and then, number two, think about the time that Christians went through right after Christ. Oh, man. There was a thousand straight years of people fleeing for their life and lying to their neighbors that they were a Christian for fear of being killed. I was reading Ignatius uh, a couple weeks back. Mm -hmm. Five Roman soldiers chained to him Mm -hmm. on each side. Five. Five on each side. Wow. Right. Okay. To transport him from... Uh, somewhere in kind of the Turkey mm-hmm. area, yeah, uh, like in the in the area where um, that was Galatia, the, yeah, 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 okay, yeah. eastern or western Turkey, to Rome uh-huh. to feed him to the lions in the Colosseum. They took him all the way there to do it, and he's writing letters to church. And this is um, the early 100s okay. A.D. Yeah, somewhere sometime before 117 A.D. And he's writing letters to these churches. And yeah. They're sending delegates to yeah. go, like, they sit down and talk with him. Wow. And here's these Roman soldiers. Yeah. Five on each side. Yeah, they didn't care. They just had to deliver him alive. So we're talking about less than 50, well, let's see, 35. So, no, we're talking about less than 100 years after the death of Christ. Yes. The Apostle John is still alive. And they're dragging this guy up there. And, uh-huh. and yeah, I mean, he's saying, like, well, first, uh, he was a little out there. He's oh, like, really? He's okay. like, oh, he's writing to the church in Rome, and he's like, if you guys stop them from uh-huh. feeding me to these lions, 
I'm going to have words for you. Really? I'm, I'm going into that call. I want them to do the job, and I want them to finish me off. Wow. He was intense, man. He was so intense. It's yeah. like, this is the glory of the Lord that he's given yeah. me. Yeah, and, and, and that's true. Yeah. Okay, that that's... That is exactly what the Bible says, but wow. Oh, man, yeah. But you, so they're sending people to talk to him. Sure. And like every single person that went to speak to this guy mm-hmm. put their life at risk. Sure, because they're admitting that. Talk to him. Yeah, they want to be known as an associate of this Christian martyr who's an enemy of the state. Yes, yes. So... You combine what Jesus says with that sort of atmosphere, and you're like, I, I could see where they would be saying, "Yeah." Yet the last words of the book are, "Come, Lord Jesus." Yeah, like <laughs> we're, we're waiting to see it. So, yeah, I, I have no problem with every generation kind of keeping one eye out and absolutely looking for sure. They're, I have no clue when he's coming back. No, but. The problem with American Christians telling me he's coming back soon because things are getting bad. Yeah. I'm like, okay, if things getting bad is what it takes for Jesus to come back, he should have come back every 10 years. Yeah, yeah. He had some other choices he could have made. I mean, all <laughs> over the world, things were horrible for Christians at different times. Why do we think that he met Americans, in, you know... <laughs> In the and, 21st century. Well, and, and and not only that, but Americans sitting in their 3,500 square foot house. Yeah. That's 72 With air degrees all the time. air conditioning and Netflix on. Watching the news on TV. Yeah. Going, I can't. I, Man, things are getting bad. No, they're not. Go to Belize. Go, ask, go to Belarus or go, Venezuela. Yeah, go, go, to, go ask my buddies who've been kicked out of their churches in Ukraine. Yeah. That, Give me a break. Things are getting bad. <laughs> so that's my point. It's like, try being a Christian in North Korea or China <laughs> sure, for a little while. Sure, sure. Okay, they've been putting up with that for how long? You know, d- don't... Uh, so that's my problem is like, yeah, things are getting bad. Things have always been bad for Christians. And, you know, reality check, go back to the first five centuries of Christianity it was absolute insane bonkers looney tunes times where i mean you just turned around and your whole family was you know swept up and fed to the lions crucified lit on fire you know and your entire generational wealth was handed over to your neighbor who turned you in yeah i mean it was crazy so Personally, I do see some evidence that Jesus could be coming back soon, and that is going to be tied to America slipping off, going over the the ledge, and disappearing from history. So that's another thing that you mentioned. Because once that happens... I mean, Zach, the amount of uh, child sex trafficking that's going on in the world, in America, in this county right now, is insane. What do you think is going to happen when America is no longer around to try to have, you know, uh, 
uh, different charities that stop these things from going on. What do you think is going to happen when the devil is just out there running amok and there's no um, nation that is pushing for, you know, moral solutions? And don't get me wrong. There are more countries than just us. But, I mean, Canada's gone. You know, there's lots of countries that are just slipping and going. When you look through the biblical narrative. Yeah. It's really hard to find a place to shoehorn in America's current level of power and influence. Absolutely. Into the story. Yeah, because you would think that we would be mentioned a little bit. At least get, based on there's people from the West. Yeah. They were like, <laughs> wow, they can really make some things happen. Like I give know. me something. Something. There's no mention whatsoever that I can find. And that's my thought is like when when we read about Paul's letter to uh, the Corinthians, first Corinthians, and you think of the level of sin that was in the church and keep in mind, that was the level of sin that was in the pagan culture everywhere. That was normal, acceptable, everyday, nothing weird. Right. Just this is how we do things. The level of unbelievably over-the-top gross sexual perversion throughout every family in every city. This is just the way things are done. Jesus talks about how in the days of Noah, okay, things were real bad and in the end times they're going to be like in the days of noah in in nephilim aside there was such a gross amount of sin that was widely accepted it was sodom and gomorrah everywhere it was uh sexual perversion i hate to say it but homosexuality is basically like the tip of the iceberg Okay, when we're talking about sexual perversions that God commanded us not to take part in, you have bestiality, you yes. have necrophilia, yes. you have all kinds of things that really, they're not even being discussed yet, okay? And you want to know something? The second that homosexuality was talked about as far as being mandated by the federal government, the next day, the pedophiles were trying to get laws pushed through they're like well if two guys can have a consensual thing then why can't i have a consensual thing with a 16 year old or a 15 year old or 12 year old what's the a seven year old yeah what what's the problem it's all love she said yes yeah it was consensual we just love each other are you guys against love now you're okay with their love why can't we you know and why can't i marry my uh uh dog or my farm animal on you know and there were serious people that came out of the woodworks pushing, well, why can't I have, uh, you know, four wives? Why can't I have 10? What, what's the pro it's, you know, it's all consensual. We all love each other. Who are you as a government to tell me I can't do that? So the second they just dabbled their toes in the, you know, uh, let the queers get together and all get married. And that's fine because it's just love and acceptance and, and everything's fine that, I mean, the next day, all of these groups were pushing for their agendas. And that's what people don't understand is that all of those agendas, the pedophilia thing, it start, it's seriously coming to the public. It's unbelievable. It's been hidden and it's been so taboo and it's been shameful and disgusting and horrible for so long. Guess what? It is now, all of a sudden, the boundaries are being pushed and it's being discussed and you just wait 
Zach, you just wait. In our lifetime, we are we are going to have people making the case for necrophilia. We are going to have people making the case for uh, bestiality. Okay, it is coming, and it was a normal part of Greek and Roman pagan culture. Yep. People don't understand that. I I have my first. Um pastoral counseling situation with a necrophiliac where where <laughs> oh lord um where there's there's been there's we laugh a, about it now right but there's there's a legal case yeah in the family mm-hmm. um about pedophilia no kidding yep yep yeah i mean it's it's coming so that is the reason that I believe we might be close to the end and Jesus is coming. Because when we see what we would consider the worst of the sins being not only talked about but publicly accepted as normal and society pushing for it to be normal. And we're not there yet. Okay, we're getting pushed back because all of a sudden the homosexuality thing started going through and they they basically ruined every single show on Netflix. Thank you very much, Hollywood. Okay, <laughs> you know, you have to have like five queers and women, you know, making out with each other on any sitcom. You can't go, you know, two episodes without some teenage queers, you know, uh, doing their thing and, you know, waving a flag and having a parade with stinking feathers. Okay. And it's a sore spot. Okay. I like watching TV. I noticed that. And it just flat out pisses me off that I can't watch TV with my family anymore. You know, I mean, I just need Tim Allen to make another show. That's what I need. Okay. (laughs) So anyway, you know, the, all of that stuff is being pushed down our throat as far as the queers are fine. Homosexuality is fine. It's not fine. It's a perversion. God hates it. It was a capital crime in the Bible. Don't tell me it's fine. And now they started pushing the next level. And they're like, well, we have to have drag queens at libraries telling kids that there's dozens of, you know, different genders and you a boy doesn't have to be a girl. And so it's like they went for it with the next step. And the next step is being pushed. Now, there's pushback. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I don't really care, Zach. There was pushback on homosexuality in the 90s. Oh, yeah. It didn't sure. stop them. Sure. Okay. So get ready. Because we're just at the next step and you only have a a couple more and all of a sudden it's going to be like, all right, bring in the Nephilim. (laughs) Like, where are they? (laughs) In the caves and the holes in the, yeah. So that's why if someone asked me, Patrick, why do you believe that Jesus might come back early? That's the reason. It's not because times are getting hard and there's persecution against Christians and and America is going down the toilet, you know, because America is not the world. America is one country and we're way less important than we think we are. Okay. And, in God's and, eyes, and not we're only ju- that, it for a long time it's been about the best place to live. Absolutely, for, for, for a nor for a regular like an average yep. earning person. Oh yeah. A, if for for people in the in the middle class, yeah. it's been about the best place to live in the history of the world. Best place to live in the time. history of the world. There are still countries that make rafts out of garbage and try to float across portions of the ocean to get here, to make a life for their family. There is not one individual living in third world poverty 
in India, in the entire continent of Africa, mm-hmm. okay, in vast amounts of South America, that if they had a chance to push a button and transport their whole family over to America and give up every worldly possession they have and start with absolutely nothing, there's not one family on earth that wouldn't run to that button and push it so hard that their hand would bleed. Mm-hmm. Okay, because this is still, we are better off than so much of the world. It is absolutely insane. So when we fall, it's... We'll see, it, yeah, we'll see what happens. Well, next. there's going to be shockwaves around the world. It's not going to be... It, it, I'm, it's going to make the news, okay? Sure. <laughs> you bet it will. You know. You bet it will. Yeah, that'll change a lot of things. I got to go to bed, man. Yeah, we're past two hours. I don't know what time it is, but it's getting late. So (laughs) let me just do my little outro here and we'll get out of here. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. You can uh, follow us live if the cameras and the internet are working every Sunday night at 7 p.m. Mountain Time, 8 p.m. Central. You can find us. If you just Google Bible Thumper Podcast, you'll find a YouTube channel, a Facebook page. You will find us on Spotify and Apple Podcast and Google Play. Wherever you download and listen to your podcast, you can find us. You can email me at BibleThumperPodcast at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. If you have a topic you would like us to go over, please let me know. If you are somebody from another country that listens to us, if there is anything that we can do to help you spread christianity around wherever you live please let us know we want to support you in any way that we can uh if you just want a pen pal from a crazy preacher in western colorado i have pen pals all around the world that i email once in a while because of this podcast and i love it and uh you know we would love to hear from you and we'd love to hear uh if this podcast has helped you or been an influence and as always i'd like to encourage all of my followers on youtube to please get back on your medication it'll be good for you and the rest of the world and with that uh thank you for listening to us here on bible thumper podcast where somebody's got to say it